Pint and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio on CFFF in Peterborough on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca uh, or just Google Pints and Politics Peterborough. You can send us feedback by commenting on the weekly podcast or by sending me a note to billtempleman at gmail.com. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me in the studio this evening are regular panelists from Town Ward, playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington, and from East City, communications consultant, podcast and writer Donald Fraser. Welcome, Tim and Donald. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. Now, Election uh, Day in Ontario is just two sleeps away in, in planning for this program a few weeks ago. I worried we might not have enough to talk about. I mean, you know, what could possibly happen in the last week, right? The the die is cast. Uh, should we really do another pound? What could happen? Anyway, that was then. We all know what happened since then. Uh, when we were in the studio a week ago, Kathleen Wynne gave her early concession speech five days before the vote, thereby gobsmacking the whole province. And just yesterday, in a plot twist worthy of Shakespeare, Rob Ford lurched back on stage like the ghost of Hamlet's father, as Rob's widow Renata declared she was suing Brother Doug for withholding estate funds uh, from her children. Then, on top of this triple scoop of intrigue, uh, early this morning, Twitter told me that one of the lawyers for the law firm, Aird and uh, Burles, the firm assisting Renata in launching this legal action, is Fiona Brown, who happens to be Patrick Brown's sister. The mind boggles. So, I mean, how much of this is real? Or are we dealing with an elaborate smear campaign? Or both? Or none of the above? Tim and Donald, what will be the impact of all this sound and fury? Uh, uh, please unpack. Oh, it, I think we've actually missed the most important thing. Um, there's no doubt that. I mean, there'll be some effect with the uh, the lawsuit from Renata Ford. Uh, it's it's kind of late. I, it was it was time to create maximum embarrassment for the sake of the lawsuit. But if it was actually a liberal NDP plot, they would have done it a week ago. Set aside Kathleen Wynne's concession for a moment. Uh, the most significant thing that's happened in the last two weeks has been the full court press of outrage against NDP candidates. There's been one every day. It's been very well coordinated from the Ford campaign and Sun Media and talk radio, and it has been devastatingly effective. It killed the NDP momentum, and uh, it's it's a really effective tactic. It was uh, used very effectively by the Trump campaign and other campaigns as well, where when you have a problem, you project it onto others, and you scream as loud as you want, and despite the fact that this ridiculous phrase of liberal media still seems to have some currency, uh, that's not the way media actually works. And, uh, um, you know, conservative messages get amplified very, very, very loud. So we've already forgotten about the data breach from 407. Uh, there are conservative candidates with charges against them and white supremacists running for the conservatives and so forth. But every single day we are inundated with some social media post from an NDP candidate a few weeks ago. And we can rail about how unfair that is, but it has worked. The NDP's momentum has been killed. Donald. I, I don't, we, who we say has the momentum right now. We, we're also thrown into a blunder. The, la the last week, and none of us could have predicted this. No. Uh, so we, we take, we'll start with the, with the progressive conservatives and, uh, and, and Doug Ford. 
the far right, and I think we're safe in, in calling a Doug Ford-led conservative party a fairly far right, not only are we living in a post-truth era, and we discussed this last time, we're also living in a post-accountability era. And uh, if we take a look at our neighbors to the south, we see that scandal makes no difference to Donald Trump. It could stick. But it doesn't even make a difference. He, the, he ignores the fact that it's there. Uh, and for the most part, his, his, his faithful are okay with that. We have Doug Ford, the brother of Rob Ford, who there wasn't a scandal this guy couldn't drunkenly fall into. And, you know, he, he managed to keep a good amount of his faithful following as well. And we take a look at, at, at Doug and will this, uh, will these accusations uh, from, from Renata really derail him? Right now, I don't have faith that it will. Uh, then we have uh, the liberals who did an incredible, incredible job of, uh, of Kathleen Wynne of, of conceding while begging for votes at the same time um, and slamming both parties all in one breath. And I, don't, I think the shockwaves that, that rippled from this have had effects that we don't know how are how they're going to play it until until election day um, and and then we we have the NDP who uh, who are just bobbing along uh, amidst these these waves of 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 scandal of intrigue of spin and just trying to you know maintain the course and and hopefully that kind of sanity will prevail but uh, but man I, I don't think I don't think we could see a more action-packed week. You know, when the um, lawsuit uh, reared its ugly head, I, I flashed back the U.S. election campaign when uh, the current president said, uh, you know, I could shoot someone and they'd still vote for me. He, he, this, this is, well, he, he pretended that he was a person with a, with a physical disability and, you know, you, you, can, you can threaten to shoot people, you, you, can, yeah. you can be outrageous yeah. and, and not have it affect you in this area. I, I think part of it has to do with the victimization uh, complex, this, this idea that, you know, smarty pants, I mean, you know, this whole trope about elites is shorthand for people with an education. It's got nothing to do with financial power um, because you have people like Donald Trump and Doug Ford and so on and so forth talking about elites. But what it does is it creates this identity, it creates this sense of uh, attachment to someone who's like, well, you know, he's not polished, but he just talks, you know, t tells it like it is. That actually has a great deal of force. And it gets strengthened as it cycles through the different memes and different tropes of the election where people start to think, you know, well, these people have been making me feel stupid my whole life. And finally, someone's come along that speaks to me in the way that it is. And even though the person's lying through their teeth, <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's about the performance. It's not about what they're saying. And I like it. It's, well, it's a, it's a folk hero. And I, and I think that uh, folk heroes have existed in our culture, you know, from the very beginning of our oral narratives. Uh, and uh, and so your Donald Trumps and, and your Rob Fords and your Doug Fords, they're, they're folk heroes, but mighty strange ones because they go against the grain of a lot of what uh, these hero worshippers are actually looking for. And just one thing to add there is... Uh, Let's not leave the impression that this is some sort of organic thing as well. Uh, there's a huge <laughs> amount of third-party money that's in there. Yes. Uh, in this election, it's Ontario Proud. 
you know, that, that is putting out stuff in social media, um, again, coordinated in terms of the daily outrage about NDP candidates. They went after uh, Andrew Horvath's son, you know, and mocked his look and everything like that. Um, there's a lot of money behind this and mm-hmm. a lot of very sharp people who know how to market this outrage. Can I go back to the concession speech, the, the early concession speech? There's got to be a new noun for that one. I, I've read uh, online liberals saying uh, this is very smart, very bright. I've, I've also read online this is sabotage. Who were the winners? Who were the losers in this concession speech? Obviously, it was thought out. Obviously, there a lot of planning going into it. But how will that play out among liberals? Among liberals, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out among liberals, maybe perhaps in the more larger body politic. Um, the first thing that this isn't about, obviously about winning an election and when conceded that it actually is about getting as many votes as possible because election parties uh, are financed in Ontario on a per vote basis on how many votes they get. So everyone who votes liberal increases their budget. So that's obviously um, a real incentive for win. I don't think everything she did was mercurial and cynical as well. I think there is an element of a graceful exit from the stage that that when achieved and and, and I give her full marks for that and actually has. I think we'll have a longer legacy in terms of how we remember when. So I think she did herself a lot of favors. Okay, so far we've been dancing on the province-wide stage, the election uh, across uh, all of Ontario. Let's focus now for a moment, if, uh, if we may, on this riding. And I'd like to segue into that by playing two brief recordings, one both with campaign staff, one the campaign manager for uh, Sean Conway's uh, campaign, the, um, Natalie uh, Stevenson, and the other with a member of uh, Jen Brutton's uh, team uh, for the Green. I put an invitation, by the way, to all the four major parties, and the NDP and the Greens were the ones who uh, replied. So let's give a listen, first of all, to uh, Natalie Stevenson. All right, we're here today at the headquarters of uh, Sean Connolly's campaign for the uh, NDP, and I'm speaking with uh, Natalie Stevenson, who is Sean's campaign manager. Hello. Thank you for doing this, Natalie. Natalie, I'm just curious, what are you hearing on doors, uh, on the phones? What's the response to Sean's campaign so far? I think the response to the campaign is strong. It's very good, uh, or at least they're telling us so. Uh, We have uh, a lot of... excellent response to the platform that the NDP have proposed with the pharmacare, mm-hmm. universal pharmacare and dental care. And of course, specifically to Peterborough, the buying back hydro and mm-hmm. the, like reversing privatization. I think people in Peterborough are really fired up about that right now, especially okay. our supporters. Uh, that's all all good stuff that's in the platform that I think people are responding to personally. So so you're hearing a lot about PDI and the sale sure, and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, it's a major issue in Peterborough, okay. as, as we all know. And then mm-hmm. our riding, because it extends further north, we also have another issue with hydro, which is that there's really an unfair rate breakdown. You pay a lot more if you live in the country. Basically, people who were born in, in a rural area are punished for for where where they live by their electricity delivery rates. Right. Um, so things like that, and they are Hydro One customers within our riding as well. So right. Hydro has kind of a dual fold interest base here in the riding. Like the last three or four campaigns, has had the growing influence of this thing. And namely social media. And it seems with each campaign, every four years, it gets, big, it gets bigger and bigger. So how how are you and Sean's campaign handling shows, social media this time around? 
Well, we have a social media manager, which is exciting. We have somebody on board to do just social media. We're working with youth and younger people via social media, even trying to get a Snapchat strategy together for the campaign because we do. You like- have a Snapchat strategy? <laughs> yes, we do. Oh, do tell. <laughs> well, we're working on it. Uh, okay. Just about reaching out and educating some right. of the younger voters in, in terms of them being able to vote in Peterborough. If they live here, they don't have to go home to vote. They can vote in Peterborough and they can vote for Sean. So uh, just getting the messages out there about how to vote and uh, the logistics of that to some of the, the students in, in Peterborough. Um, it's really important. And also, uh, I just drive. Now, what is the youth response to, to Sean's campaign? I mean, yes, he's a young candidate, so that's an advantage. How are, how are young people reacting? Young people are reacting well, especially the platform. We have uh, we have the offer of, of, of potentially tuition grants rather than OSAP loans, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And, uh, of course, we're trying to build in some um, co-op jobs and stuff into secondary and post-secondary education as well mm-hmm. as the NDP. And I think that the, the youth are responding to that. People are, are gra- you know, graduating now with, with no job prospects and, mm-hmm. and a huge mountain of debt on their backs. And I think that just it sets them up as a, for, as a disadvantage for, for years to come. Great. Well, thank you so much. What we're going to be doing is speaking to all the parties running in the provincial election and getting a sense of what's going on on the ground. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. And we're here today with Jane Davidson, who's part of uh, Jen Broughton's uh, team running for the Green Party of Ontario. Jane's been uh, kind enough to set up some time just to uh, talk about the campaign. Jan, what, what is the campaign hearing at the doors? What are people talking about? Well, it depends on where you are. I mean, the questions we get in the rural area is totally different, are totally different than the ones we get in Peterborough. The rural area, of course, farmers are really concerned uh, about sustainability, sustaining their farms, and they're also very concerned about their hydro bills. In the uh, city, we're getting more uh, people more directly connected to environmental issues, but also hydro bills and the housing crisis. That's a big one and it is a big issue in this area. Now, this is a huge riding geographically, of course. How are you managing to, how's the campaign trying to reach all the corners of the Peterborough Quarter riding? We've uh, we've been relying a lot on media and social media because we just don't have, of course, the size of team yet. The Green Party is building and growing. I should say that we have a very good chance this election of having a Green elected Mm-hmm. to the provincial house that is the green candidate riding in, running in Guelph Mike Schreiner and he's absolutely brilliant the Toronto Star has endorsed him as the candidate for for the Guelph riding they are supporting and it is a huge riding i should have also said the uh, the lineups in uh, as they're calling hallway medicine is another issue and the green party has a comprehensive plan they are not solely an environmental party any longer. They have a comprehensive plan for absolutely every area of concern and life that people could possibly mm-hmm. care. Trying to get across to people is a green vote is not wasted because mm-hmm. the more more of the popular vote we have, the more people will have to listen to us in the House. There, There is crisis with the environment. There's no doubt yeah, about it. Right. And the green, Greens, the green Party has the answer, and it's extremely responsible fiscally in terms of how we handle your money, our money. And that's something that is little known, but is, it's growing. People are growing in awareness. And I think the reason the Green message is growing is that people are worried. They're, you can't escape 
climate change. You look at the storms sure. uh, that we're experiencing and how it's affecting us economically and in terms of our health. Mm-hmm. All those links are being made now. And so the green message is, is uh, growing in power. To me, and I can honestly say this, it is the only party that makes any sense for the world we're living in right now. Well, Jane Davidson, thank you so much for setting aside this time. All right, and that was two short views of the uh, local campaign here in Peterborough Quartha Riding. Uh, Donald and Tim, what did you make of what you heard? What's going on out there? Uh, what's going on out there? Well, let's start with the NDP because I, I think the NDP are the party to, to watch right now. I think we have to start by saying that we don't have firm numbers for polls when it comes to this riding and this seat. Certainly the buzz that I've been getting has been that the, the NDP is is a front runner with, uh, with the Conservative Party. The Liberals are, are telling us that it's a, a two-way race between the, uh, the Conservatives and, and the Liberal Party. So... With with two days left to go, I think the uh, the NDP has to stick to script and uh, and and keep on. I think I think Sean's done a really good job of of maintaining a, an even keel and uh, just running his campaign, keeping clear of of all things that are going on. And I think that he has to keep on doing that. As to uh, as to how it's going to end, I'm going to I'm going to turn to I'm going to turn to Tim because uh, Tim Tim's got some gut feelings that are similar to mine and and perhaps a bit more knowledge as well. Well, Peterborough Quarter Quarter Riding, the, um, the the two largest parties in terms of membership is are the Liberals and, and the Conservatives. If you were to lump the Liberals and the NDP together, and it's a bit of an unhappy marriage, but in that in that broad sort of subset of the Venn diagram where they overlap in terms of aggressive politics. That's acceptable to both. Um, they actually constitute the majority in Peterborough Kortha. The Conservatives can rely on anything from you know high twenties to into the forties. I think one time Dean Delmaster, I think the election he got sent to jail for, he got around fifty <laughs> percent of the vote. What a surprise! But so what happens, of course, is that there's a, a middle between the NDP and the Liberals that that sloshes back and forth. Mostly it votes Liberal because the Liberals tend to be stronger, and certainly the provincial Liberals have been a much stronger party for a number of years. That is actually where the fight is right now. Uh, you want my prediction. My prediction is that um, the, the Liberal and NDP supporters are going to keep fighting over those swing votes and call it a draw, and Dave Smith is going to win. But certainly what's happening on the ground right now is uh, a huge discussion around strategic voting, mm. which traditionally has always meant vote Liberal. And right now, I mean, Donald alluded to it, you, you can see what's happening. The Lille campaign, their, their closing message is all about strategic voting. You know, it's kind of like this past relationship of theirs that's over and they, they, they really want it back because um, <laughs> it has served them very well uh, and for very good reason in, in, in the past but uh, their closing message is that they have uh, secret numbers of internal polls and they've been putting out mailers and, and you know, they were on CBC radio this morning and that's what they're trying to say is that don't don't observe what's in front of your face we have the secret numbers and it says that we're going to win uh, unfortunately, um, I, I'm not buying it. Uh, so they 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 send they, they send out a mailer just uh, in the past week. If they had numbers, uh, they wouldn't have put it the mailer that they just sent out. Uh, they sent out a, a, a mailer with a graph that had uh, that uh, was not labeled, and it had it had Jeff Leal, you know, far away in the lead with uh, with a no name blue and a no name orange, and no no label saying what this is. And what it was was actually numbers from the last election and. and 
and how Jeff had fared. But to, to anyone getting this piece of paper and looking at it just from, from the graph alone, they'd be thinking, hey, you know what? This is this is where they're sitting right now. Uh, and that's a desperation ploy. If they actually had numbers that mm-hmm. I think would show them that far over the top, they'd be sharing some of them. Now, th- this may just be uh, the, the color of lenses I'm looking at this whole issue through, but through my eyes, it seemed that the liberals were playing, uh, and I'm talking Peterborough Quartha, a fairly uh, low-key campaign taking signals from uh, Toronto, not coming out with much fight in the local campaign until somewhere between three and six days ago when suddenly we had this eruption of circulars, of uh, stuff on social media that seems a bit over the top. And suddenly there's there's all this contention, as you say, uh, Tim, about social, about uh, strategic voting. Why the late wake-up? And forgive me, and I don't mean this as a partisan remark, it seems like too little too late. I mean, the game the game is like we're, we've got three minutes left and, you know, the orange team is up three goals. I mean, now you're going to throw on your top line? <laughs> well, to c- continue the metaphor, <laughs> I think, uh, I, you know, they're, they're trying to win the period, you know, when you're getting blown out. Now, I don't think the Liberals are getting blown out, by the way. I, I think it's mm-hmm. actually possible that Lille may end up with more votes to Conway if they're successful in convincing those swing voters that that legal can win. I, I, I really can't predict how that, that's going to play out. But uh, I go back to what I said before. It, it is about money. The more votes the Liberals can get in any party. Mm-hmm. So they're in this position now where they know they're going to get shellacked in this election. And after 15 years, that's going to happen. But the more votes they can get, the better finance they can get. I just want to give you an insight from the last election that I organized a strategic vote in the last federal election in conjunction with um, the Lead Now's Vote Together campaign. And that was a months-long process. And it was data-driven and eventually came to the conclusion with an Omeranix poll that uh, Mary Monsef was the best. But I do know that the campaign was very upset about this strategic voting initiative because they knew inside that Miriam was going to win. She had the numbers and she won by a lot. I don't think strategic voting put her over the top. I think she was going to win anyway. But they didn't want a poll coming out right before the election because they didn't want their supporters to get complacent. It's a very natural reaction. But it's kind of interesting. The contrast now is their campaign is embracing strategic voting. So I think that says something if you're reading the tea leaves about what the numbers actually are. Now, a question I have to put out Grim for some years, though it might be. How, uh, and we're talking about, uh, of course, our listeners, Peterborough Quartha writing, how are they going to, how to respond to a Doug Ford government? Um, there was an article in The Atlantic uh, not uh, three days ago by David Frum, say you fight trash and lies with decency in facts. How? Because it's looking like there could well be a Doug Ford government. How do they respond? I, I don't know how you fight uh, uh, a Doug Ford government. I think that there are going to be changes that are going to be uh, disempowering. Um, I, I think that there will be attacks to our uh, institutions that are going to be deep and hurtful. Um, and will public protest make change? Uh, I, I'm not sure that it'll be heard. I, I think you got to keep on keeping on. I think you have to push the politicians that are in power to uh, to be as active and invo- as vocal as, as, as humanly possible. Um, but 
I think you're right to to recognize about how dire this could possibly be. We were scared of a Harper government, and uh, and and Harper looks like you know a, a vest wearing, kitty cat stroking, nice guy. Okay, we've got to get to predictions time. Uh, we've got about uh, 60 seconds left. Predictions. I go first because I got yeah. yeah. So we talked about this at the end of uh, off air at the last show, and and I said I still got a you know feeling maybe the NDP can pull this off, and I have to retract that now. I, I think it's most likely going to be a Doug Ford majority because it's going to be a majority government one way or the other, and it's almost certainly going to be a Doug Ford government. I'll just leave this one little thing: is that uh, elections change a lot in the last few days, and so many pieces are at work. The big thing, it's always the thing, it's the magic unicorn, is youth turnout. And I don't think it's an impossible dream this time, but if the demographics are there for the NDP, they could surprise. Um, I, I'm sticking with what I said last last week. After the show, we, we had our little contest. Which was? Which was? Which was. And I'm sorry, folks. I think that we're going to be a bellwether riding uh, again to a conservative majority. And, and I think that Doug Ford is going to be driving right up the middle between that big vote split. One last prediction question. In uh, 2011, 48% of Ontario voted. Eligible voters in 2014, 51%. Are we going to get more people voting this time? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be pessimistic, and I'm going to say no. Um, I, I think that people see our, our system is broken, and either, either they're going to come out in droves to try and fix it, or they're going to stay away in droves because they, they feel it really is broken. Donald yeah. Fraser, Tim Etherington, thank you so much. We will do this again. Take care, and tune in next week.